to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? My name is Reverend Ann Dunlap. I'm a UCC pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about me at fiercerevremedies.com. I also coordinate faith work for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE Faith. As always, I'm grateful to be with you wherever you are listening to this right now. And I'm just back from a week away on retreat down in the San Luis Valley of Colorado. I've been going there for years. I love there in my little hermitage with all the south-facing windows letting me soak up the sunshine and watch the weather roll over the valley. I tend my little wood-burning stove and always, always overheat the place the first night. There are always deer roaming about and flocks of mountain bluebirds, their blues so bright it takes my breath away when I see them bank on the wind. This year I saw woodpeckers for the first time, and flickers, and coyotes, which I've heard with their strange keening howls many times, but yesterday morning as I was walking back from the chapel, I saw three loping along the ridge, and they gave me a good, long look. So I've been away, and now I'm back, and the herbs in the yard are happy, and the tulips are beginning to bloom. I'm sitting in our prayer room again, watching the light shift across the yard, and the squirrels eat our birdseed, not caring one bit if I tap on the window. I've been away, and now I'm back, and I've learned over the years to try to carry that hermitage with me in my heart, in my breath, in my chest on days when everything feels narrow, constricted, I can breathe into that hermitage space, breathe out into that valley and ginormous sky and stretch myself out, even if just a little. Do you have a space like that? Can you imagine one and breathe into it right now? Breathe into it. Feel your muscles and bones stretch out. Expansive under the divine's big bluebird bright sky.
So I was away, and it was March when I left, and now I'm back, and it's April. And how did that happen? <laughs> I can hardly believe it will be Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? Already. Already we're here. Why do we tell this story? Matthew's story this year, to be exact, Matthew 21. No palms, no stones crying out, just a procession and some questions. Maybe we know this by now, that this thing call, that we call Palm Sunday is actually a protest, a counter-demonstration, that Jesus was an organizer who had been plotting long before the day Pilate marched triumphantly into Jerusalem from the west. Massive war horses, massive weaponry, massive troops, a display of Rome's massive might to suppress, to repress any Jewish resistance during Passover, the Feast of Liberation from another empire. Don't even think it, Pilate's march says. Don't even think it. So here comes Jesus on a donkey. A mama and her colt, no war horse, a donkey. A mama and her baby, small, vulnerable. All of it arranged beforehand with secret codes because Jesus, after all, is an organizer. Other people are in on the scheme. People to hide the donkeys and shed their cloaks and cut down branches and call in the questioning city folk. And how many meetings do you think it took to come up with just the right protest chants? Save us, Holy One, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in God's name, not Caesar's. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Roman Empire has got to go. Like any good direct action, I imagine medics there making sure folks have water and first century cough drops, marshals to make sure folks are en route and keeping 17 eyes out each for Roman riot police mustered up in the alleys, disciples disciplined and ready to circle around Jesus if the police rush the crowd. I mean, y'all, it's a protest, a counter demonstration against Roman incursion into Judaism's holy city, Pilate on a massive horse accompanied by an army, Jesus on a donkey, accompanied by el pueblo, the people. Not my emperor. Whose streets? God's streets. Do we know this by now? Why do we tell this story anyway? I can imagine those early communities telling the stories. How did we get here? What are we supposed to do now? Every gospel tells this story. Remember? Right before they killed him, remember? We took the streets that day. That day Pilate marched in like he did every year, remember? We got right up in Pilate's face, so loud, so many of us, they couldn't touch us. Couldn't touch him. Remember? A king on a donkey, so brilliant. A king, this poor carpenter Jew on a donkey. That's who God raises up to help us, to get us free, not Caesar's armies. 
Nobody remembers whose donkey it was anymore. Nobody remembers if it was branches of all sorts or palms in particular, but we remember how powerful it felt to reclaim our streets, our sacred streets, God's streets, not murderous Pilate, not Caesar. Remember? If these stones could talk. Why do we tell this story anyway? You know, we don't need the quick shift to the Passion readings to know Palm Sunday is already Holy Week, already tense, already threatening, already questions we don't know how to answer. Because the time Matthew, by the time Matthew tells this story, the streets are scorched, the temple is rubble. Rebellion after rebellion, Pharisees trying to tear down Rome's imperial eagles off the temple, John reenacting liberation from Egypt and the Jordan River, Jesus taking the streets of Jerusalem, everyone, adults and children, protesting images of emperors being imposed on streets and in temples over and over, revolts against imperial taxes, rebellion after rebellion, and Rome finally destroys Jerusalem. By the time Matthew is telling this story, Jerusalem is gone. Jesus is gone. James, Peter, Paul, all executed by Rome, by Rome. And hundreds of thousands of Jews have been killed or sold into slavery. The span of Jesus' lifetime through Paul and the Gospels is rife with Rome's violence in Jerusalem and Palestine, rife with violence against Jews throughout the empire, and rife with resistance against Rome. Repression is always met with resistance. And that reality is palpably present in these stories. Like it is in Zechariah's vision, Zechariah with his mama donkey seeing the restoration of Jerusalem after its destruction by Babylon. But it's invisible to us now. Made invisible to us, disappeared behind Constantine's sword and stories reduced to piety tales about how I can get my little individual sins forgiven and we wave our little palms and smile at the children in their little parades and crown Jesus who never wore a crown in our sanctuaries where American flags hover near the cross. Why do we tell this story? Why do we remember it? the triumphal entry. What is the triumph? Jesus is executed. They're all executed, massacred, Jerusalem gone or soon to be. So why? Why did the community look back and remember this story? All the Gospels agree. This action is the beginning of the end. They tell this story, remember this story, knowing full well what's coming. Survivors sitting in the rubble. Remember when? Courage, sisters, don't get weary. Courage, brothers, don't get weary. Courage, people, don't get weary. Go away, people. 
It'll be 10 years ago this October that I and 10 others from the Isle of School of Theology were arrested, along with about 80 others in an action led by the Colorado American Indian Movement, protesting the Columbus Day Parade here in Denver, an annual celebration of colonization and genocide led out by the same cavalry that committed the Sand Creek Massacre. Down the same streets where the bodies of massacred Cheyenne and Arapaho were paraded as trophies by that same cavalry. Colorado AIM led a different march from the four directions for all nations, meeting downtown in dance and drumming. Then we met the colonizers parade. Some of us sat down in the street, joined arms and sang hymns. Others stood steadfast, hearts pounding to the drums. The police were brutal. Some of us still carry that trauma in our bodies, our spirits. Their violence said, don't even think it. The city attorneys, they were brutal too, to suppress and repress any indigenous resistance in the Denver streets. Don't even think it. Two marches, the empire, the people, 10 years on and that parade still exists. 10 years on and we still tell stories. Remember how bright the blue sky was? Remember how loud the drums were? Remember how they tried to break your wrist? Remember how they knocked him unconscious? Remember how it helped to see a friend who refused to look away? Remember how you made origami animals and flipped them to us under the jail doors? Remember how we prayed? Remember how we sang? Remember how we linked arms and wouldn't let go? Remember how they handcuffed us together? Remember the welts on our wrists? Remember how the medics tended every single one of us? Remember how scared I was? But we kept singing anyway. Remember how I met you that day and we're still here fighting? Remember that day we took the streets and for a little while, just a little while, it felt like a whole different world, all of us together stopping the empire. Remember that day in Jerusalem? Survivors in the aftermath. Why do we remember this story? Why do we tell it? What difference does it make? I'm full of questions today. We're entering Holy Week and I'm full of questions, like some of the crowd in this story. And I don't want to tie this up with a neat bow. I want to leave it open, raw, uncertain, unsettled. Why do we tell this story? Why do we perform it inside our four walls but not embody it beyond them? I don't want to make easy conclusions and to be honest I'm not sure I have any about a political protest against empire that got its leaders killed. Except that we're still telling the story. But if we are, if we're still telling the story, shouldn't that story matter?
Maybe that's our resistance lesson for today. Today, when Pilate is marching everywhere, everywhere, we remember this story and who is on that sweet mama donkey and that it took all kinds of people doing all kinds of work to shout in the face of the empire, we don't believe in you. We believe in us. We'll put a poor colonized Jewish carpenter on this mama donkey, her baby following along, a king who is no king at all, and claim our freedom comes from following him, not you. Following the divine's vision, breathing in him, in us, breathing for him, for us. Whose streets? God's streets. Whose streets? God's streets. Blessed is the one who comes in God's name. Amen. For your call to action today, I have a spiritual practice for you as we enter into Holy Week. As I was studying up for this podcast, I was struck by John Dominic Crossan's observation about the crowd during Holy Week. On Palm Sunday and at other moments, the crowd keeps Jesus safe. Pilate doesn't dare come for him. Only when Jesus is nearly alone is he arrested can the betrayal hit its target. And Crossan notes, this crowd that is with Jesus is not the same crowd as on Friday inside Herod and Pilate's courts. They are not the same. It would make no sense for the crowd that surrounds and supports and resists with Jesus to suddenly turn on him, like so many of our passion plays try to convince us was so. So with that in mind, my invitation for you is to consider the crowds. Consider all the roles different people had to play to pull off that protest. Consider, where are you in this story? Hiding a donkey? Shouting in the street? Asking what's going on? Feeding everybody afterward? Nodding in approval at Pilate's fine, shiny armor? Consider the crowds. And so, let us be honest. Where we find ourselves today is where we would have found ourselves then when black trans folks and indigenous folks and undocumented folks face off against Pilate's massive militarized police with prayers and songs and chants and empty, vulnerable hands. Where are we in this crowd? And not just in the streets, but in our meeting rooms too, our city councils, our church councils, our curriculum committees, our workplaces. On Palm Sunday, the question for us as white Christian folk is, Which side are you on? We who have privileged seats at Pilate's parade, when Pilate shows up, and he does constantly, where do we find ourselves? Following Pilate's procession of dominating power? Or following the one most impacted by Pilate's power, poor brown colonized refugee? even when it is hard, even when it costs us. 
May we be blessed and provoked by the questions this complicated week brings to us. Thank you for joining me today. As always, the transcript this week will include resources at the end to support your action. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages, and keep an eye out for our special Holy Week podcast coming up next week. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with me there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts will be available as well on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. As always, blessings to you in all that you do, especially this week, to resist injustice. And in all that you do, especially this week, to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much. We are